There's an expression in sports when you watch games and you try to call the plays and get really frustrated and upset and they call it being an armchair quarterback. And that means that from your armchair, you're sitting and you're telling people, oh, I could have done this and I could have done that. And uh, they should have done this and they should have done that. And as a consumer of sports, it's really easy to size up somebody on the field and forget the fact that behind all that talent, there's a story. And behind that story is a person and it's a person that struggles and has ups and downs and it's a person that could do something that could unravel all the talent that you might see on the field in today's interview we get in depth into that story and talk to the person his name is jason highland and he is an author but most importantly he is a recovery coach and this guy has accomplished more in a year uh, than most people will accomplish in a lifetime for anyone that's ever struggled with addiction or just self-doubt, Jason is your guy, and this is your interview to listen to on episode 14 of Off the Floor. What happens when you combine business, pop culture, and at least five analogies to ballroom dancing? You get Off the Floor, a podcast to help you get to that next step in your career or your tango. Here's our host, Chris Line. All right, so I'm here with Jason Highland. He is an author, he is a speaker, and most importantly, he's he's a recovery coach. And um, he was so so fortunate that he had a chance to to join the show today on Off the Floor. Uh, Jason, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us uh, tell us a little bit about what you got going on? Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. First off, for having me. Yes, I am all the above. I guess you could say. Um, coming up on ten months into my personal recovery. Uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, uh, opiates. And, you know, once I asked for help, uh, the hardest thing to do is say, help me. But once I did, you know, life has been just progressively getting better by the day and been very, you know, blessed to have some opportunities such as this. And it all comes and stems from writing. I started writing when I was in a recovery program and led to my book, Stop Thinking Like That, which I'm sure we'll get into. And just, you know, the blessings that have come with my recovery right now is, it's really surreal, to be honest with you. And I'm just going at it one day at a time to try to spread the message as much as possible. And my goal is coast to coast. And, you know, this is a great opportunity for that. Yeah, that is so fantastic. I mean, you, you hit on something really important about like asking for help. And uh, what do you think it is about that process? And like, why is it such a huge step in the recovery process for people? Um, and why is it such a big obstacle? Well, I asked that question to myself a lot. And it was always the same answer. I didn't want to be seen as weak. I didn't want people to look down upon me. And I didn't want to see myself as weak where, oh, I can't do this. I need help from someone else. And so once I, what I call, I, I came out and said that I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, which was Christmas Eve this past year the on social media. And the outpouring of support has been something I would never have imagined. But more importantly, I've had individuals every single day, multiple individuals reach out to me saying, thank you. Thanking me for having the courage to just be honest. And it shows them that one, they're not alone, that there are people just like them facing the same, you know, obstacles that they have. And after receiving so many of these 
messages, I decided to go back to each one and ask them, why? Why haven't you done what you just did to me? Meaning, you know, tell me, they're telling me their story, pouring their heart out to me. And I asked them, why haven't they done this on a public platform? Why haven't they gone to their loved ones or seek help? And every single person had the same answer. And it was because they were scared of being stigmatized forever, forever being seen as, as weak, as almost like a coward. And it's, it's very sad to, to hear that. And I've had the opportunity since then to speak at forums on the, that exact subject matter. Uh, the stigma that is an addict or an alcoholic and what it means to the person who, such as myself, you know, I, I'm forever now going to be considered an addict and alcoholic. And that's absolutely fine with me. I will take that to the grave. No problem. Because by me doing so, it's allowing, like I said, others, the opportunity to realize, okay, I'm not alone. It's, it's okay. You can still live out the life you wanted. You can still be happy. And there is help out there. There is support out there. You know, so what if you're going to be called this or that? But unfortunately, that is the reality of the situation. That is why people aren't coming out because they're just too scared and fearful of the opinions of others. It's really strictly based on what others are going to perceive of, of them. And and that's too much for some people. And, and I totally get it because it took me years and years and years to finally do it, to ask for help, that is. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like it, it, when you're talking, I'm just thinking uh, for some reason, I'm just thinking if you're a Red Sox fan and you are a diehard Red Sox fan and you're willing to wear your Red Sox gear to Yankee Stadium, you know, then that says a lot about like your commitment. And I just feel like when you're talking about that, that when you're willing the taking the good with the bad that you're still like gonna you know gonna bleed for your team you know it's kind of like that same thing of just of just saying that that's what you are and you're gonna take the good with the bad with it is that kind of would that be fair to say that's a great analogy and baseball being my absolute passion and love in life i i I appreciate that (laughs) and thankfully thankfully the red sox didn't didn't get swept and they won last night speaking of but (laughs) I can, I totally can see that. And, and meaning I accept who I am. I accept the alcohol, the alcoholic that I am. I accept the addict and acceptance is a very, very big part of recovery, especially early on because there's so much that's happening, so much being thrown at you. But in the end is just, is once you accept it, you know, that's the first step. It's, it's admitting. Okay. I admit that this is who I am. And then that opens up a lot more for you and it makes you feel a lot more comfortable because as I mentioned earlier, you realize you're not the only one. You're never alone in this process. And once I really personally realized that, it made things a lot easier for me. It made me feel you know, comfortable as, as much as I possibly could be comfortable in the matter. And you know, just from that point on, it just thankfully has slowly but surely made it easier to come out and speak, speak my truth, speak my honesty. And that's helping others in the meantime. So by accepting and admitting it, it's really made things you know, comfortable. And it's hard to be comfortable when you're in recovery. There's no doubt about it. And a lot of people, we, we fear the, the uncomfortable, but that's where growth occurs. If we want to grow as a human being, we got to be willing to be uncomfortable. Most definitely. 
I've been listening to, um, I don't know, have you had a chance to listen to Dak Shepard's podcast, uh, The Armchair Expert? I've heard some of it. I've been, there's so many different things that have been brought to my attention in the past 10 months. So I'm getting bits and pieces of, of so many, but I haven't gotten fully into his, but I have heard bits and pieces. Yeah, he is. So he's also, he's gone through recovery and he talks about how um, his vantage point and he talks to, you know, his wife as uh, Kristen Bell and, um, and they both say that everybody should go through AA just for like what it does for people, even if they're not in recovery, because it's doing so many things to, to self-evaluate, to take accountability, to, to communicate like your concerns and reach out for help, like what you were talking about. So how do you, do, would you agree with that, with that standpoint? Like, do you feel like if, if anybody, even if someone wasn't an addict could really benefit from some of these steps that you've gone through? Absolutely. That is a great point you, you mentioned there. And you hear it a lot in meetings that there's 12 steps and only one of the steps is alcohol mentioned. And that's in the first one or, or drugs for that matter. It's in the first step. The rest of the steps is how you should live your life regardless. You know, the, the 10th step is about <clears throat> being accountable for your actions. And, and when you mess up, you know, stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility and saying sorry to people if you hurt them in the moment. So every single day, everyone should be living that step. You know, if you, if you hurt someone, you should apologize. If you mess up with something, you should take accountability, take responsibility. And in, in the 12th step is helping others as much as you can spreading the message. And that's personally what's most important to me because I saw how it helped me. I saw, you know, this was freely given to me. These people were helping me for no other reason, but they wanted to see someone get better. And as I progressed, I, certainly wanted to do the same because I feel there's no other reason why I was saved and, and really survived what I put myself through than to spread the message of hope and inspiration because there's so many people out there that just so desperately need to hear just a, a sliver of encouragement or they can hear that where I was and they're like oh that's I was there too and look at what he's doing. And so I want to spread the message as much as possible. So I'm living out the steps every single day of my life and everyone should, why wouldn't you want someone to be better and know help others? It doesn't have to be just an addict or an alcoholic. You should, you know, help anyone else in, in general. And you mentioned the self-evaluation. Once you really get the opportunity to look within and to see who you are, what you're made of, your the good and the bad, your flaws, your defects, everyone has them. And again, that bring, goes back to where you're not alone. You're nothing special. You know, everyone's going to have these, these traits and, you know, they call it the great I am. And, and I hear that often in recovery and in meetings. You know what? I can think I'm the, all this. I'm the only one who went through this. I'm the only one who's done this, blah, 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 blah. Well, in reality, you're not. Mm. there's always someone out there who's, who has it worse, who's been through it. You have, but I take that as that's, that's a good thing because it shows me if they can recover and they can still go on and you know live the life they wanted, then why can't I? It's kind of you know, all related to where someone has done something that everyone thought was impossible. Mm. Well, that means it can be done again. 
if something's been done once, it can be done twice. And I really take that mentality into all my endeavors that I do. Because if I want to live out the life I want, and I see that someone's done it before them, why can't I? I always think of that. Why can't I? Oh, man, that's great. Well, it sounds like it's going really well so far. And, you know, just, you know, your vantage point, not not only that, but then, you know, using creativity and then communicating on top of that. I'm sure that's supercharged your recovery because not many people are willing to be so out in the open and public about it. Um, that's why they call it Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and you're taking a very non-anonymous approach to it. I think that's fantastic. So, so tell me about like what, what, Thank you. yeah, you're welcome. What, what was the, the driving force with the book? Were you already writing a lot? Like how did that all come about? It's really crazy to say this, but I've never written in my life besides you know, college papers, high school papers, so forth. I was a reader. I was a very uh, into reading a lot once I graduated college and I was working in business. Business became my new sport. I played baseball in college and I have that competitive nature and so forth in me. And so business became my new sport, you know, because I could, I was in charge of what I was going to make. I was competing against myself, but others and so forth. So I started reading a lot and it was personal development books. But then, you know, one thing led to the other and I found myself, you know, at the bottom Mm. when I finally somehow, some way asked for help and I walked into a detox, I brought a notebook with me and very creative title. I titled it detox, (laughs) (laughs) but that, that notebook turned into what became 201 pages of my story. Stop thinking like that. The name of the book. And it's not just about my story. I interview others that have been through, um, that are in recovery, others that are successful entrepreneurs who have faced uh, great adversity and overcome it. And so the writing just gradually came as I, as the days progressed. I realized I, it was therapeutic for me, first and foremost. That's why I, I did it. That's why I started. You have all this time to yourself when you're in a detox and you're not really there to, to make friends at the beginning because you're so nervous, you're so scared. So at least I was, and I was keeping to myself by writing, reading and writing, reading and writing. And I wrote one story originally I was just journaling each day. It'd be like day one, I'd say what I did in the day, what I got out of it, day two, so forth and so forth. And then I wrote a story. I don't know what, what came about writing it, but it was a story about what my morning used to be like Hmm. when I was, you know, full blown addict. And I wrote from the story was basically from six 45 to eight 15 in the morning. And I wrote just about that hour and a half period. And I showed it to someone and they were thoroughly impressed and couldn't believe how basically they were that person in the story. They felt that they were there. They could, they could, all their senses took over. And I even surprised myself because I felt that too. I said, wow, I'm back into where I used to be. And slowly but surely I started writing just little more stories like that. And I reached out to someone, a family friend who's written three bestsellers. And I just said, any suggestions? And all he told me was to keep writing. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I have over 10,000 words already. And he goes, when you get to 40, then we can talk. And (laughs) so I did. 
And I just kept going and going. Initially, the, the beauty of all this is I have everything. I, everything was handwritten from, from the detox to the rehab to the recovery home I was in. Wow. And so I can look back now and I see the dates on it. And it, it's crazy to, to really look back. When I sit back and look at how this all transpired over the past nine and a half months, it, it is, it's incredible. And I'm truly blessed that I, for some reason or another, started writing. Um, and you know, it's brought these opportunities such as you know, being able to share my story with you and, and speak with you right now. Yeah, man. I, I love like just note taking, but also I love finding old notebooks. And I, I think it's kind of like what you're experiencing where you look back and you can kind of get this, this interview of like what was going through your mind during that time. I see this notebook. I, I still have it. And it's like one of my first notebooks when I started teaching and I'm, I'm, I see who the speaker was. And I didn't realize at the time that this guy is like a legend. Right. And I, and I'm like mm -hmm. scribbling on the side of this notebook and I'm looking at this and I almost want to go back in time and punch myself in the face because I'm like, you could have got so much more out of that meeting. So, so what was like the biggest takeaway when you look at like that notebook? I think that's so cool, man. That's like, you should, you should have that like framed or something that that is such a, a cool artifact. What's the, what's your big takeaway when you look at like your evolution just on those physical pieces of paper? Well, there's something very important from it. And when I look back at the first couple weeks to the first couple months, it's a reminder of where I was. You know, I, I, I would look back when I was three months in, I'd look back to that first week and no matter how down I might be that day, I can see where I was when I first started this process, see how bad I really was. And so I can always use it as, you know, a, a learning opportunity and, you know, it builds my confidence seeing that there is progress. No matter how bad I may feel today, it's always better than it was yesterday. And I always keep that main mentality. And I've spoken with multiple people in recovery who also journal and they use their writing in a similar fashion where they're having a bad day. They'll go look back at where they were a month ago, see what they wrote then. And it really, you know, brings to, to, to reality, the growth process, the growth of I'm getting better. I'm getting healthier physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so whenever I I'm feeling down, all I have to do is go back to that original detox notebook or any of the writings. Cause I, I, I was using four notebooks at once. And I remember I wrote that in part of the, my book, stop thinking like that, that I'm the, right now I'm in the process of writing in four different notebooks. And wow. it's because I, it was so helpful in, in my recovery. And a lot of people that the professionals, so to speak, and the people with long term uh, sobriety would tell me, don't focus so much on your writing. Don't focus. You're going to, you know, become addicted to that. And every single time I tell them, well, if I don't have my writing, I'm not going to be sober and I'm not going to be sober if I don't have my writing. Hmm. It would go hand in hand. So I couldn't have one without the other. And that's why it was so helpful for me personally on my journey, on my, in my recovery. And I understand everyone's going to get sober and clean their own way. That's what works for me. That's what is working for me. And I'm going to continue to do that because I see how much it's helped me in every aspect of life. First and foremost, it keeps me sober. That is number one. If I'm not sober, none of this is possible anyways. Right. 
how could you become addicted to writing and how would that be a bad thing? That's crazy that they would say that. I mean, I think only if you're Kevin Spacey's character in the movie Seven, where you've got volumes and volumes of really scary notebooks filled up. But I mean, what you're doing is so positive. I can't believe they could find a negative slant to that. You know, you, that's a great movie, by the way. Seven is oh, one of my favorite movies my, of all time. My Phenomenal. Absolutely. Phenomenal. Such a good movie. <laughs> Yes, sir. Well, there's a, a part of recovery where it's very uh, often it happens where you'll become addicted to something else, whether it's work, the gym or writing, reading, so forth. But it's productive. Like you said, it's very productive measures that are for me. Again, it was therapy. It was therapeutic. That's how I putting my my thoughts and and things that I've been through on paper, things that I've never shelled out to any single human being out there that have always been suppressed inside. By putting that on paper, it's helping me. So you, you, that's why it's very, you can't just take every what everyone says and go by it. Meaning if my counselor says you have to do this, this, and this, that's the only way. Or AA says this is the only way. No, it's I took bits and pieces of everything because again, there's no right way to get clean and sober. It's yeah. just not how it works. Everyone's going to be different. And for me, it was writing. So I agree with you that it was productive. It is productive. And I know now that it's helping hundreds to thousands of people and nothing's going to stop me from continuing doing what I'm doing because yes, it's helping me, but it's helping others. And that's all I inspire to do right now. Oh, that's so cool. Hey, so wait, let's talk baseball. So tell me about, about how you got into it. Like, were you like playing t-ball all the way up through everything and and how'd you get get into it and then like got it all the way to college like tell me a little bit about that yeah baseball like i said my true love in life sorry to my girlfriend she knows that (laughs) (laughs) that baseball has always been number one my brother was a, a a big high school superstar he's 10 years older than me and so i just watched him learn from him and then I progressed and progressed to the point where I was very fortunate. I got scholarship offers from Florida to California. After high school, I went to an all-boys Catholic school here in uh, just north of Boston and hold all the school records still, which is, you know, a proud moment in my glory days. Yeah. (laughs) But it gave me opportunity. It gave me the opportunity to be able to choose any college pretty much of of my liking. And I went to school in Tampa, Florida was blessed to be able to go to the college world series. We Man. lost in the national champion, lost in the national championship game. Yeah. And I was named MVP of the college world series after my sophomore year. Um, wow. That was, uh, I could see the light. I could see my dream was coming to fruition. The, playing major league baseball has been my dream since, since I can remember since playing right, right up in front of my house, playing with ball. And unfortunately, what transpired in the next six months was became the um, the ongoing story for me as uh, drugs and alcohol took over and I got kicked off the team. Somehow, some way, I got another opportunity to a school up in your area, Chico State, up in Northern California. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I, I went there my last two years, my junior and senior year. Went to two more College World Series, but by that point, you know, my demons had pretty much control over me and the baseball was thrown out, thrown out the door. Um, I did somehow, some way get, I moved back to 
Massachusetts 2010 and I tried out for um, a tryout after working at a baseball facility, uh, a former teammate of mine and I started training together and he was playing at the time. He was in triple a and he's like, you know, I should set you up with my agent. You're, you're it's like, you haven't missed a beat. Cause I didn't play for almost six years. I had two spine surgeries right after college. Whoa. And that one, it wouldn't have mattered anyways. Cause again, my demons had control of me at that point. But you know, I started hitting with him often while in between when we were uh, doing lessons, cause we both trained kids at the facility we were at. Long story short, I went to the tryout. I got signed. I played two years of uh, independent ball in New Mexico and Texas when I was 27 and 28 years old, which is very late for baseball standards. That, you know, but you know what? I got to say I did it. Yeah. Not like I made much money, but my life, it was everything was taken care of. And it was just, it was great to experience that. It was one of the best blessings I've had. Um, and to this day, baseball still is absolutely number one to me. I've coached high school for three years after I finished playing. And, you know, it'll always be a big part of me. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah, I, I have a similar, I mean, not to the same degree, but yeah, I had a I had a bad basketball injury was like, that was my number one. And, um, and so I uh, had a misdiagnosed injury that that um, was, it, they said my wrist was sprained, it was really broken. And so I was trying to play through this broken wrist. And um, same thing, I, I got kicked off the team because I got in this shouting match with my coach. And, uh, and then they let me back on the team. But I sat the bench and it was just this you know this nightmare whirlwind but it was the same thing like I hit when I lost that identity I felt like I felt like that was it like I felt like my because I'm like the tallest person in like a couple generations of my family so I felt like it was all preordained for me to play basketball right and uh mm -hmm. and, then, and then when that came to a, a grinding halt it was like what do I do now like why why was I given these gifts and then now what am I going to use them for and uh and then that was like the setup for me finding ballroom dancing of all things this the thing that I used to make fun of my dad for doing and then suddenly I fall in love with it so <laughs> <laughs> of course it, it, it comes full circle how that happens it's crazy it's crazy. So then like, how did you feel like, so do you feel like maybe this whole time, like the identity that you've been meant to have is to be the person that you are right now? Like, do you feel like the baseball was really just like a setup for that? Like, talk about that. I'm glad you mentioned that because as you're just sharing your story, which by the way, I did, I my homework on you last night and I saw the basketball aspect. I was like, okay, we got an athlete. This is going to be an easy conversation for us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it took me a long time to accept that baseball wasn't supposed to be, it wasn't meant to be. And one thing I hear often in meetings, AA meetings is the term grateful alcoholic. And I can never, understand it especially in the first few months i would be like how in the world could i ever be grateful for the very thing that took away everything i ever loved in life mm. how could i be grateful for it and then one day i i lived in a recovery home for six months and i graduated february 23rd this, this year and it was about a month before i was graduating and on sun um, saturdays we had breakfast at a church they would feed the like it was a community gathering and feed the less fortunate and my home we was right 
right across the street from it. And we would go and have breakfast there. And the members who organized it, they found out about my book through the grapevine and they offered to host an event and cater everything. And it just hit me as I was walking back to my house, it hit me. I'm like, wow, like, why are these, all these opportunities, why are these blessings happening to me? All I'm doing is staying sober. And that's when I said for the first time, I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'm grateful because I'm getting these opportunities to help others so that they're not in the situation I put myself in so that they don't have to live in the perils of addiction like I did. And from that point on, since then, it's been much clearer each and every day with each passing day that I wasn't supposed to be a major league baseball player. I wasn't supposed to be everything that I always said I was putting all this pressure on to be. From literally since I was like 10 years old, it was Jason's going to play professional baseball from my family, my friends, the community, and it kept growing. Like, that's what I was supposed to do. And you know what? That's what I wanted to do. I'll, there's no doubt about it. That still, I, I wish that dream came to fruition, but it didn't. And it gave me this opportunity. And this opportunity is so much bigger than my personal, what my dream was, my personal recovery, just even the book itself. It's so much bigger than that because there's so many people out there that need to hear stories like this. They need to hear that people, even though, you know, they didn't live out the way they thought they were. Well, there's not plan A isn't always the way it's going to be. There's so many other different ventures that can, that can happen for you. So baseball is a huge part of me. And like I said, forever will be because it brought me to where I am now. And it gave me the ability to one, my, the confidence I have in, in who I am and knowing where I can go with, if I really put forth the effort Two, it, it helps in regards to the book the notoriety I'm getting in my area in the North shore where I'm at in Massachusetts, it's given me opportunities because of who I was, AKA the great baseball player. So then I get the opportunity to have uh, being on a TV show, being on uh, you know, multiple newspaper articles written about me because of the fact of who I was. So the baseball has given me that opportunity to really give me the platform to do what I love now. And that is to, share my story to help to hope of uh, hope and inspiration so it it, it came full circle just like I, I mentioned with you basketball all the way to what you used to you know laud your dad for it's same thing as has pretty much happened for me baseball will always be a part of me and it's brought me to where I am now and I couldn't be you know happier than that and it's Again, I could say it's unfortunate that I didn't live out those dreams, but I'm living out a totally different dream, and it's so much more worth my while. Oh, man, that's so great. Yeah, I just it's kind of like that, you know, all of those moments where something great happens because of something bad that happens and that that bad thing can be the catalyst. Like if your if your house burned down, but then in the process, you ended up discovering that your house was built on top of a gold mine or something. And and you never would have found the gold mine if, if the house hadn't burned down. And, and and it's it's so cool to hear how you've taken these this setback and then set up something even more fulfilling and and not to mention like the lifespan for you as an author and a speaker goes well beyond like that lifespan such a limited lifespan of an athlete and and i know that there's a lot of athletes out there that really struggle with that that they that that window is super short you know um 
so now now is there do you have like a second book in the works are you um um how is everything going so far like you said you've been got a chance to be on tv and um what's been like your biggest maybe one of your biggest highlights so far since the book has come out june 1st is the actual release date when it'll be on book shelves and it's taken off a pre-order on amazon and that date is something that yeah that's like a moment i i can't wait to happen it's been all this thousands of hours of of work i put into it are definitely starting to finally come to fruition and i'm seeing it there but uh when i put my book let me backtrack I, I wrote the book, I edited the book, I designed the cover, I published the book. And I did all that, not for any purpose of, oh, look what I can do, but to show that anything is absolutely possible, no matter where we are in life, no matter how down we are, we can still do whatever we want. You know, my mother always, always, always preached to me, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, that, you know, other people, we, we hear that all the time. Well, I, I put that to the test and it came, it's true. And so, that's why I kept going at things. I, I, did I ask for help? Yeah, of course. I needed help with certain certain avenues because this is all brand new to me. Once I put it on Amazon for pre-order, within two weeks it became number one national bestseller on Kindle and the paperback on categories of alcoholism and recovery. Wow! That definitely was the highlight. Thank you very much. And that was the highlight so far because. Back in November, I sent an email to myself saying, you will become a, a best-selling author. Whoa. I forwarded that email to my mother as well. And I, I have them, obviously. I have these emails saved. I said this was going to happen seven months ago. And it just further reiterates, if we want something bad enough, we can't have it. It's up to us just to put into the work, to grind and grind and grind, to make it happen, to make it come to uh, you know fruition. And... You mentioned about making, uh, you know, setting myself up for the future from a setback. A quote that I, I don't know if I made this up or not, but I don't know, I don't remember hearing anywhere, but failure is the gateway to opportunity. So many people, you know, think, I, I don't, I think I heard it somewhere. I don't know, but I'm going to claim, claim it until someone says otherwise. There you go. <laughs> and it's so true because everyone, no matter what, is going to deal with failure. It's part of life. It's just how we react, how we respond to those set of failures that are going to determine where we're going. And I decided that, you know what, nothing I can do about the failures I've had. I'm just going to put everything I can into moving forward into bettering my life, which in turn, hopefully will better others. And that's what's happened. So the highlight personally on a selfish level has been I wrote a best-selling book. You know, I've never wrote more than a, a couple-page paper for, like I said, in college. And I can say that I did that. But more so, it's the fact that it's proof that no matter who we are, no matter where we are, anything is possible. Anything is achievable. And I'm seeing it happen firsthand. And from that, others are getting hope and inspiration. Like I mentioned, people reaching out every single day. It's just, it's such a blessing. And just today before I, I spoke, uh, this call, I received uh, a Facebook message from a traumatic brain injury organization, nonprofit up in New Hampshire that asked if I could come speak to them, uh, speak to their clients. And cause a lot of them have uh, addiction problems. And 
how how does that happen? I'm just someone who's, you know, 10, 10 months or so sober and clean, just sharing my truth. But by doing that, these are the type of opportunities and blessings that are occurring. And it shows me that it's so much bigger than me. So all that's the biggest highlight. The fact that my words are helping others get through and to see, you know, see the, that there is hope. Ah, oh, man, that's so cool. Well, that's, that is the perfect segue. Um, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. Now it's time for rapid fire questions. First one, um, your absolute go to what is what is your food lineup when you're going to a sporting event like what's your what's your go-to like what should everybody try if they go see a game out in massachusetts uh i would say fenway frank but actually it's the sausages that they sell outside at the vendors my mother and i we actually just went to a game last weekend and we take the train in. It's about a half hour train from where we live. And she's always like, Oh, I can't wait to get that sausage. This is my cheat day. I'm going to get that sausage. And no doubt about it. Sausage with uh, onions and peppers from the vendors outside of Fenway park. Hands down. Nice. Okay. So now we have to talk about it. The movie's been out for a while, but we have to talk about what is your take on the, uh, on, on the, the Boston area take on a movie like Goodwill Hunting and specifically uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Is it a, a feel good story? Are you, are you annoyed by them? Like, how do you feel as a resident of Massachusetts seeing what they created? <laughs> Absolutely. All my favorite movies are Boston movies. When I lived out in California, my nickname was Boston J. I will bleed Boston till the day I die. And regards to Damon Affleck and the Wahlbergs, how can you not respect what they've done? They've all came pretty much from nothing and made themselves into who they are. And that's the type of people that I look up to and I, and I admire and I want to emulate because they're living proof that no matter what you can live the life you want. So cool. All right. Give me your very favorite, like your all time best sporting event moment, something that you witnessed, you know, or maybe got an autograph or something, but what's your all time uh, favorite, like live sporting event moment? Without a doubt, game six of the 2013 World Series at Fenway Park when the Red Sox clinched uh, the title for the first time in over 100 years. I was there with my mother. My mother and I are super close. She's my best friend in this world, and I got to experience that with her, hands down, best best day of my life, best time of my life, best moment, best everything, that moment sharing with her, watching wow. the Red Sox win the World Series at home. Man, that is so cool. Uh, how about, uh, let's see. Um, okay, you can go back and you can redo one moment in high school, but as a really great dancer, what's your moment, and uh, how how would you use that skill for good? <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading or hearing about this on one of your previous podcasts, and I thought about it. Just hit me at freshman year of high school. I went to an all boys Catholic school, so our dances were kind of a, a big deal because you'd have girls coming from all different all the towns around. And I remember in particular, my freshman year, there's a picture in the yearbook of me dancing, totally having no clue you could tell what I was doing. <laughs> but I would, 
that moment is what comes to mind. And I would just, you know, maybe have had a little more uh, skills with my, with the feet and not, <laughs> no, I guess I think back at the picture though. It looks like I, the, the person I was dancing with, she wasn't not impressed, but <laughs> that's what I would, I would go back to that moment and, and see if I could up my game a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Freshman year. Nice. Man, that, that, I gotta, I mean, usually like, I know in, uh, in California, like in San Jose, there was an all boys school. Um, and, uh, and then they would have a, like a, uh, like a, a school, like one all girls school. And then they would get together for dances, but you, you, you had them like bust in from other neighboring schools. You guys had like a big selection. I mean, that sounds like a great setup. Yeah. You know, a lot of people would be like, oh, you went to an all-boys school. How could you do it? It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> very, very blessed and grateful that I went to that school, though. It was – I'm so happy. To, and I'm a big part of the community still to this day. I got inducted into the Hall of Fame there a couple of years ago. And it, it's one of my most proud moments, to be honest, because that school means so, so much to me. Man, that is so cool. All right. So, um, uh, okay. So final thought now. So if you had to kind of think about what, you know, your journey and what your road is, has taught you and some of the things that you've talked about in the book. And now if you had to, if you had to kind of like take this, take the message and then, and then kind of give it like one, like final kind of like segment like what would be like the message for people it doesn't have to be just dancers but people in business people you know that aren't in recovery might be in recovery but what's what's your final thought like how would you want to summarize this interview and what's the message that you want to share well what immediately comes to mind is seeing from pursuit of happiness and being out in San Francisco where you are, I think about the moment Will Smith is speaking to his son when they're playing basketball and he tells his son that no matter what, don't let anyone tell you, you can't, not even me. And that's what I look at with life. Now that I have this, you know, this second chance and the second opportunity, I don't care who you are, whether you're the closest person in the world to me or, you know, someone who's just trying to drag me down, no matter what, I'm going to go ahead and go after what I want and know that I can achieve it no matter what. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter how far down I am. If I want something, I can still have it. It's just about how much am I willing to put in to go ahead and get it. And that anything is possible against all odds. I can use every cliche pause uh, that there is, but it's true. <laughs> I, I'm living proof of it. And I, every single day I, I tell myself and I look back and I say, look where I was and look where you are now, all from believing in yourself. And the, the, the more you grow, the more success you garner, the more people are going to try to drag you down. And now that means is you're doing better and better and better because that bus is just getting bigger. Great. That means I'm getting, you know, getting the message out to more people and I'm, you know, I'm having opportunities like this, being able to speak with you across the country. This is exactly what I envisioned six, seven, eight months ago. And it's all come to fruition because I believed in myself and I didn't listen to any of the naysayers because they're always going to be there. So if you are, th if you are that person, stop thinking like that, no matter what. Oh man. Awesome. So now how can people, uh, so, so the book's available for pre-order right now and you said June 1st, it drops. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. And then how it's can people, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's on Amazon right now. Uh, the title again is stop thinking like that. My website is Jason dash Highland 
Jason So it's J-A-S-O-N-H-Y-L-A-N-D.com. Right when you pull up my site, uh, there'll be a, a pop-up to go ahead and purchase the book or pre-order it. And if you pre-order it on Kindle, it'll be automatically available June 1st. If you get the paperback, it'll be sent out the last week of May. So you should be getting it right around the June 1st date. Or you can just go into your local Barnes & Noble, local bookstore, whatever the case may be. Um, and I, it's not a book just for people in recovery or addicts and alcoholics. It's a book for everyone because, as I mentioned at the beginning, every single person deals with adversity. It doesn't matter who we are where we live, how rich, how poor, does not matter. We all deal with adversity in life. It's just how we how we go ahead and respond to it that's going to, you know, drive us in the direction we're supposed to go. So it's it's for it's for every single person. Yes, a lot of it has to do with my personal story in recovering and what my addictions and my demons took away from me. But as multiple people who've already read it, they say is it's not your typical, you know, sad story. Every single chapter you, you leave, you're inspired, you're motivated, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry too, but that's how we get through to where we want to go. We have to go through the pain to get through and, uh, to the ultimate success that we want, to the happiness that we're trying to you know, find and strive for. Oh, man, that's so great. That is uh, such a, a huge milestone. It's it's incredible to think that you know you're only you're less than a year from when you first started the program, and to think about where you are now and that email that you sent to yourself, man. I mean, all the all the lights are pointing towards you know this really is like what you're designed to do, man. And I'm I, I couldn't be happier for you, and I'm really happy that you're able to hop on the show and we can talk about it and get to know you a little bit better, man. I I think that you got such a great story. I appreciate that. It gave me a little emotional over here when, because, you know, when I think back of where I was a year ago, it, it's, it is surreal and it is such a blessing. And I appreciate this opportunity, Chris. I really do. And I'm looking forward to know, getting to know more of you as moving forward and hopefully be out there. Cause I want, like I said, I'm going coast to coast. I don't care whatever it takes. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, when, uh, uh, when you do come out, actually I, my, all of my dad's side of the family is from New Bedford, but I've never been to Massachusetts in my life. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but we played them in high school. Oh yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So they all moved, but then, you know, everybody from, from, uh, from Boston, they'll move down to Florida to, you know, at some point. And, uh, but a lot of them moved to California, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so I don't know if there's any family left over there, but I know I got to get out there at some point and, and, uh, and then we'll have to hook up when, uh, whenever, if you're ever out this way, we'll, we'll have to grab a coffee or something. Certainly. And if you come here, then we'll have to go grab, like I said, those sausages outside of Fenway and go catch a game. Oh my God. That would be, that would be <laughs> the best. Are you kidding me? Oh, Jason's story is such a great example of what happens when you just share the truth and all of the wonderful byproducts that can come with it. You know, in the amount of time that some people are debating whether or not to unpack the boxes in their spare bedroom, Jason has turned his life around. I mean, in less than a year, it's crazy. And I think that he is such an inspiration. I hope that you pick up his book. And most importantly, I hope that you share this episode with somebody that means a lot to you. My name is Chris Lynham, and this has been Off Before.